Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, Ryan Reynolds returns as the Merc with the Mouth Deadpool in Deadpool 2. A group of veteran actresses take inspiration from the pages of Fifty Shades of Grey in Book Club, and for some godforsaken reason, the guy behind Beverly Hills Chihuahua and the live-action Smurfs and Scooby-Doo movies was given another shot with show dogs. So, let's get it started. Your bullets, they're really fast. And last but not least, Peter. Any power you want to tell us about? I don't, I don't have one. Um, I, I just saw the ad. You're in. Ladies and gentlemen, I open up this, this episode of Popcorn Junkie by serving myself a big old piece of humble pie with a side of crow. Because turns out all of the vitriol and all of the bile that I have been spewing towards Fox and the producers of Deadpool 2 in regards to the death of Joy Harris is all based on lies and conjectures and rumors. So basically, let me give you a rundown of what happened as far as I know given the most reliable sources. First off, uh, for those who don't know, S.J. Harris, uh, Joy Harris, um, I didn't catch, the, they use her uh, first name in the, in the credits, uh, in the dedication, in the, to her dedication in the credits, so let me, I didn't quite, um, it's not listed on her, on her Wikipedia page, uh, which is weird. So the credit that she's listed by in Deadpool is not listed on either her IMDb or her Wikipedia page, which is crazy. Uh, the S and SJ Harris. But anyway, point is, um, Joy Harris was a uh, motorcycle r- uh, racer, one of the first black, um, well, first prominent racer. Of co- uh, uh, who was black in motor and motorcycle racing and in motocross, and she was uh, brought in as a last-minute stunt driver for Deadpool uh, for a shot featuring Domino. Uh, the initial stunt women, the stunt drivers that they had in line, couldn't make it. Joy Harris was a last-minute addition, and by all accounts, she was nailing the stunt. But when they when they started filming and the first take she lost control of her motorcycle and ended up crashing through the shaw tower in vancouver as far as uh the work safety investigations go uh the only thing of that seems to be hinky from fox's end is they didn't give her a helmet for the stunt but that's about it the stunt was a slow speed 10 to 15 mile an hour stunt she was nailing it so far without a helmet, and it's negligible whether or not that helmet would have saved her life. But at the same time, the Fox Fox is mostly guilty of adhering to a time crunch rather than taking the time to have a safe set. Instead of taking 
a couple of hours and having her fit for a helmet that they could green screen out later in post, they would much they would have much rather have gotten this shoot done and over with. And it's because of that more than anything that you could argue they were responsible for her death. At the same time, it's it it's hard to say who is at fault because it's just a it is it is just a a freak out of nowhere accident. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody there. What all could you have done to prevent it? Even with the helmet, like would the helmet have saved her life? That much is hard to say. That also, but that doesn't negate Fox from pushing ahead and making a less safe set than they need than they could have in in order to get the shoot done quickly. I think their neg- I think their negligence is more in the fact that they would have much they would have much rather gotten things done quickly and less safely than than worrying about something that they could have that they're worrying about a safe filming environment and and trying to prevent instances like this at all you know at all possible you know you can easily photoshop a just put on a green helmet make it like that green that you can edit out later in post. That's all you have to do. And then you can just put a, you know, a digital fro on it. You know, take the the uh, domino wig, scan it into a thing. There are ways you can do it. Anyway, point is, the things that I was talking about, the whole that she was not ready for this, this was a racial um, affirmative uh, cat, uh, call, that this was done because she more in line uh, fit the, the racial background of the actress playing domino, which... If you look at the two of them side by side, they look nothing alike. Joy Harris is a has a much darker skin complexion than Zazie Beats, who plays Domino. Uh, the fact that you would argue that, oh yeah, you just hired a black stunt woman to for the for the uh, black actress, and it's, and you and you look at them and you're like, it's like a Terrence Howard Don Cheadle situation where you're like, they look nothing alike at all. Like, even if you're looking at them from a distance, you could tell they're not, it's not a matter of color, you know? So, I mean, a lot of that stuff was, and a lot of that stuff was printed in Vanity Fair, which is probably, which probably should have been my first sign that I was getting bad information, because it's not like Vanity Fair is the, is the most well-regarded in terms of entertainment media either. So, I need to take the time out and say I was wrong in regards to the way Fox handled things. They weren't great. At the same time, it's an industry-wide problem. The idea that things need to be done quickly and cheaply and unsafely is an industry-wide problem. It's a way of cutting back where you can on the budget. And unfortunately, you'd probably be better off not paying the producers as much if we're, if we're being honest. Like, why not just take the time to film on a safe set And allow for the, you know, if you're doing an action movie, you want to be doing things safely. And if things go long, you take it out of the producer's paycheck. Why not? They're the ones, I mean, who, if if the movie's good, it's better that you, if the movie does well, then it's better that you did things safely than having to deal with the fact that you did things, you know, shoddily. That's all. Uh, So, yeah, um, be, be, be aware of where you get your information on the internet, kids. Not all information is generated equally, and not all of it is of equal viability either. Always double-check your sources. Make sure you're getting it as directly as possible from the font of, inf- uh, uh, of 
of things. I I made I went through uh, and found articles that cited WorkSafe BC, which is the British Columbian Work Safety Organization that investigated the incident. And by all accounts, they, they deemed it just an accident. They didn't deem it as negligence on the part of anybody. But I'm still willing to call out Fox for trying to do things quickly and not safely. That being said, it's not enough to make you to make me say don't support Deadpool. There's a there's a bigger reason not to support Deadpool. His name is T.J. Miller because he's a he's a he's a raging douchebag and uh, a, a sexual predator. So if you're going to not support Deadpool too, make it because of him, not so much because of one accident that was not wholly preventable. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, how do you prevent just something going wrong out of nowhere when it didn't go wrong any other time before? So yeah, that was me enjoying that nice, sweet, sweet humble pie with a side of crow. How about Deadpool 2? Um, it's about on par with the first Deadpool. They improve in a lot of places. Uh, the addition of Cable and Domino is fantastic. Uh, the a lot of the, there's a lot of great uh, one line. A lot of the stuff, the, the formation of the X Force was a solid uh, thing that happened. Full filled to the brim with references that you don't need to get, but they're great if you do get. Like uh, there's a bit where they reference Cable, uh, Deadpool's X Force uniform. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, my favorite line of the movie is a Rob Liefeld joke, which I won't give away, but, um, there's a couple of quick cameos that you'll, that blink and you'll miss them. And it's all, it's all, it's all fairly much in line with the first Deadpool and improved in a lot of ways, especially with the addition of David Leach as Leach, 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 Leach. Is it Leach like Robin Leach, the host of, uh. Um, lifestyles of the rich and fa- there's a host on HQ, a uh, female host that's a, that's a British woman who s- I swear to God sounds like Robin Leach. Hello and welcome to HQ. I'm here hosting Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I, I if you know if you play the the uh, trivia game uh, HQ on your phone, you know exactly who I'm talking about. It's it's insane. Um, but, uh, but, um, where was I? Um, like, Le- Le- like, Leech? Leech. Let me see. Does not specify on his Wikipedia page. Apparently he used to be a stunt double for Brad Pitt. Did not know that. Uh, but he's best known nowadays as one of the co-directors of John Wick and the director of, um, uh, a couple, I think last year's Atomic Blonde? Was Atomic Blonde last year? Uh, Atomic Blonde was last year, yes. Um, and so he executive produced John Wick Chapter 2, but he let his, uh, co-director do the main thing on that. And then he's been, he even, he even still does stunt work. Uh, he's done stunt work for The Wolverine, uh, Anchorman 2, Hansel and Gretel, Rich Hunters. Uh, I think that's his stunt work. No, that's second unit director. Uh, but, so that's all second unit stuff. But he did... Uh, stunt double uh, for Brad Pitt and Jean-Claude Van Damme, which I thought Jean-Claude Van Damme did his own stunts, but whatever. Um, so yeah, this guy's been mainly a second unit director, and then uh, he, he he is a former stunt stunt man, and now he is 
Uh, he's been thanks to the success of John Wick, he has become a uh, main, you know, a a, a big time action director, and he shows that in here as well because it's even better than the the than the action in the first uh, Deadpool movie. The addition of David Leach uh, has given this the, the that level of intensity and energy that you, that was not exactly wholly in Deadpool 1. Deadpool 1 focused a lot on comedy and on that sort of stuff. There was good action, there was good stunt work, but this one just just, you know, revs up the engine and goes as fast as it can. Uh probably a terrible metaphor, but I'll but yeah, but you get what you get what I'm saying. This uh David Leach went and took this movie and he you know, he took took the action all the way to eleven as only he knows how. And apparently he's tapped to do uh the X Force spin-off movie, which given given what he did with this, I'm all for that. You just gotta get good writers behind it, and I'll be behind it one hundred percent. Um As for the things I didn't much get in like uh Josh Brolin, greatest cable. I honestly would have preferred somebody else, but the including Josh Brolin does make for a uh, for a, um, for a, you know for the the Thanos reference since he's playing both Thanos and Cable, I think giving it to uh, what's his name Stephen Lang from uh, Avatar who was the be- who was the main military bad guy in Avatar I think he would have made a solid Cable. I don't know that they needed Josh Brolin, but he's he, Josh Brolin does great as the straight man to Ryan Reynolds' uh, Deadpool. Um, uh, Zazie Beats, who I'm not familiar with, uh, is a phenomenal as as Domino. She has great comedic timing, and she plays off the whole like the whole, Domino's thing. For those who aren't familiar with the comics, is that she is lucky in that think she's able to survive dangerous scenarios because she has she has luck on her side. And they you know they make fun of it in the movie, but they also do well to showcase what exactly they mean by it. Apparently, she was in Atlanta as the character Van, and she's in something called Finding Her as Keisha. I am not familiar with her at all. This is my first. Oh God, poor poor Zazie. She was apparently in Geostorm of all things, but uh, yeah, she's she's been mainly in Atlanta. And then there's this, and she's slated to return as Domino in X-Force. And she's got a bunch of stuff uh, coming up. But yeah, this, Atlanta, and I guess finding her? Monique Watson goes missing in Brooklyn. Police are not doing anything to find the lead. Instead, they go after the family. Drops on the desk of the young journalist, Christian Baker. Vlad Fire? Fear? Fire? Uh, Johnny, Johnny Whitworth, Maurice McRae, uh... Afton Williamson. This seems to be an independent production, so uh, uh, I'll have to go check that out at some point. But uh, this is my first real introduction to her since I uh, since I never got the chance to get in on Atlanta at the ground floor. But she is phenomenal as Domino. Phenomenal as Domino. <laughs> um, you've got the returning. You got um, Morena Baccarin returning for a bit as Vanessa. You've also got. Um, uh, you also got uh, apparently the kid from uh, what's it? What's the uh, movie that everyone's talking about? Uh, 
Okay, apparently that's Matt Damon and Alan Tudyk in cameos. So keep a lookout for them. Where is the kid? Apparently he's not even... This is as high up as the other members of X-Force. Dopinder returns, the the taxi driver from the first movie. He's a bit more anxious to get in on the killing for this. He seems to be playing the role that in the comics is played more by Hydra agent Bob. And I feel like... I guess that makes sense since they don't have access to the MCU and Hydra at this point. But I'm interested to see uh, if they bring in Bob back at some point or if Dopinder is going to be their version of um, Hydra Agent Bob for the, for the foreseeable future. Um, where is Russell? Okay, there we go. They didn't list his, uh, his uh, mutant superhero villain name. Uh, this Hunt for the Wilder People is the New Zealand movie he was in. And um, here he plays this sort of um, bullied, put upon, and tortured uh, mutant character who, has, who ends, up, oh, make, ends up becoming like a mass murderer in the future. Uh, and that's why, and he's the reason Cable comes back to, stop, to, to, the, to the past in order to prevent the death of his family in the future by by killing the one who killed so many people uh it, it time travel is crazy it's part of the yeah it's part of the reason this one is a little bit more convoluted uh you also got Leslie Uggams returning as Blind Al uh she is awesome i love her she's my favorite part of this entire franchise uh she's a better sidekick than TJ Miller i'll say that um who is it? who does return much less to to a much lesser degree and, and and it's good to see that he probably won't be returning for future um, installments. But uh, I think the main thing to keep in mind with this movie is remember just remember that they they aren't afraid to take the piss out of you. Uh, they are not afraid to um, to to take all your expectations and be like. Oh, that's cute. You have you have these expectations of what's going to happen based on what we set up, and now it's on fire, and now it's going into the gasoline, and now there's an explosion. See, that's what we did with your expectations. Did you like it? That's a that's a lot of this movie, and it for better or worse, it try it it hinders itself by utilizing so many of the uh, comic book movie tropes that. That it thinks it can get away with saying, "Hey, look what we're doing! It's we're and we're making we're we're lampshading the fact that we're adhering to a movie trope." And it's aren't we hilarious? So yeah, it doesn't work as well. A lot of the return jokes don't work as well the second time around, but the new jokes are the ones that that work out great. Like the aforementioned Peter, he is played by comedian Rob Delaney, who is I who I did not I'm I'm not used to seeing Rob Delaney. In person, I mainly follow his Twitter feed. So he, you know, he's fun as sort of like the generic guy. He's like, I just saw the flyer. I, 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 I sounded like fun, and he becomes like Deadpool's favorite in the X Force. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's fun, and it has fun with itself. It also, it's kind of convoluted, but that's what you get. They don't even, they don't even tap into the basics of Cable's backstory because. 
for those who don't know, Cable is the most convoluted intru- uh, back. Ca- you know, has the most convoluted backstory of almost any comic book character. I mean, you could. It's Cable's at least in the top ten in terms of convoluted backstories. The basics are that he is the possible child of Scott. Um, Scott Summers, I forgot his last name for a bit, uh, Cyclops, and Jean Grey. He is a possible future child of Scott Summers and Jean Grey. And he becomes infected with a virus that turns it organic matter into um, metal and robotics. And, and, and becomes sort of it becomes sort of a terminator um, because of it uh, then um, he comes back in time essentially I don't think it's specifically the one they use in this movie Firefist but he comes back in time to prevent something ends up getting stuck back here and joins forces with Deadpool for the most part and has become a major figure in the X-Force comics but he is part of the 90s. He was co-created by Rob Liefeld. Of course he's going to have a convoluted and over-the-top backstory. Because that's what comics were like in the 90s. It's why Linkar- I've been watch- re-watching Linkara's catalog. And it's like, 90s kid? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you were there, then yeah. Yes. Absolutely yes. So, given all of that, Deadpool 2 did a solid job of trying to integrate that into a film. The only other thing that I wouldn't, um, it plays around with LGBT stuff. Like they, 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 Deadpool does a lot of, uh, homoerotic gestures. Like he grabs, he, when he hugs Colossus, he holds Colossus by the butt. And, um, you know, he does the whole romantic gesture thing with Colossus where, uh, he does the, um, say anything where he holds up an iPhone with a stereo phone cover facing towards Colossus. And he's trying to get Colossus to join him to help save the kid. Uh, so they play around with the fact that Deadpool is sort of fluid when it comes to sexuality. And uh, and, and then they also throw make Negasonic Teenage Warhead from the last movie. They give her a girlfriend. But that's more just for a punchline. Not against the two of them, but the punchline is whenever uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead is there with her girlfriend, Yukio... The punchline is Deadpool just set, goes over to the, just is like, hi, Yukio. Hi, Deadpool. And it's just like, it's just like this little thing where it's just like, hi, Yukio. And that's the punchline. That's the joke. It's just like, you know, they're, they're, they're quacking wise. They're making jokes. And then all of a sudden, hi, Yukio. It's, it's kind of wasted, ultimately. I feel like that should, they should have played more of a part like they did in the last movie. Although they do have a fun bit where it talks about why there aren't any other X-Men in the movie. But... Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think it's. I'm interested to see what will happen now that Disney has acquired the X Men back from Fox, and how they'll integrate. How Deadpool will start integrating into the MCU if Deadpool three will technically be part of the MCU, or will X Force be part of the MCU? I'm interested to see what they do with it, but it's a lot of fun. Um, stay for the end credits. They're way they're 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 hilarious, especially. Um, the very end, there isn't a, the, the very end isn't quite as good as the mid credits, but there's a nice little bit at the end, uh, that ties back to a scene earlier in the movie and it lets you hear, uh, a song that they created just for the film. 
Also, the opening credits are uh, a James Bond-esque uh, opening sequence set to a Celine Dion song. So, this movie has fun. Uh, I, I overall, I don't think I, I don't think I'll like it more than the first movie, but I think it's a great companion piece to the first movie, and Ryan Reynolds nails this character. Also, I need to do my research before I start spitting hot fire where it doesn't need to be spat. But that's you know, I think it's a lot of the internet's problems. I'm just willing to acknowledge that I was wrong, and I feel like most people need to do that. When they are wrong. I can't believe you put Viagra in my beer. Sir, I'm going to need you to step out of the vehicle. I don't think that's a good idea, officer. Okay. Enjoy your night. You too. Thank you. Remember how I was talking about momsploitation being a thing? I think I am on to something. I think this movie is further proof that I might be onto something with this whole momsploitation genre. Because um, I was watching a Film Brain's projector review of it. He called, There's a term in the UK, they call them grey pound movies. Because they're about a, they, they, call, they look like they were made for a pound. And they cost about a pound at the bargain bin. And they make the pounds from the grey hairs. That's... That that's kind of how they define them over in the UK. I think moms. I think it's not so much fa- uh, the fathers that are into this. The old men. I feel like older men would probably want more in line with like dramas or action, the things that they were into when they were growing up. But I think they they would take their wives to this. This feels more geared towards a female audience, is what I'm saying. That's why I call it mom exploitation. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is de- this definitely. Fits the bill for that. We've got veteran actresses Jane Fonda, Diane Keaton, uh, Candace Bergen, and Mary Steenburgen, three of whom are Academy Award winners, one of whom was nominated. And they're here to talk about having the sex. We're talking about the sex. Let's talk about sex. And the fact that Iris said sex like five times there is more than what they say in the whole movie because... The gray hairs don't want it to... The blue hairs and the gray hairs don't want it to be too um, risque. Despite the fact that they're talking about a movie where a woman... <sighs> yeah, for those who don't know, this is the movie that takes inspiration from Fifty Shades of Grey. And it's about four older women who try to revamp their sex lives after reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Film Brain's the one that pointed this out. This feels like it's two years too late, and he is absolutely right. This should have been done after the first uh, Fifty Shades movie. The series completed earlier this year. If nothing else, this should have come out last year with the last Fifty Shades movie. But for some reason, despite the fact that most of these actresses probably aren't doing all that much, although Candace Bergen is supposed to be getting back with uh, Murphy Brown on TV soon. Um, But... How did it take this long for this? Because it's 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 like somebody who has a passing understanding of online dating, Photoshop, and the Fifty Shades series tried to make a movie and had to do had to do it with all three. Well, I'll get into the Photoshop later, but this movie has four 
well, highly acclaimed, you know, critically acclaimed, award-winning actresses vaguely referring to sex using innuendo because, oh no, it's a PG-13, we don't want to get too raunchy. PG-13 was a mistake. Just go for an R. If you want to talk about sex, make it an R! So yeah, this movie, it has four, four, act, four older actresses dealing with their own personal issues. But they re- they all they convene for a monthly book club, despite the fact that they seem to recon- they've seem to reconvene a lot, despite it being a monthly book club. I, maybe they just hang out in regular weekly intervals, but it may it I, it felt really weird that it's supposed to be a monthly book club, but they meet semi regularly the rest of the time. But yeah, they uh, there's this really forced introduction to who these characters are that never comes back. Like, the only thing that ever comes back is the fact that um, Jane Fonda was proposed to by a man who who later become who she rekindles her relationship with during the course of the movie. Nothing that is mentioned in the opening screed that Diane Keaton narrates was necessary to the entirety of the movie. It, it could have easily been cut. It did not need to be there. And it's accompanied by some of the worst Photoshop I've ever seen in a big budget uh, Hollywood production. <laughs> this Photoshop looks like they gave it to, the ni- the, to, the, to an intern's nine-year-old kid. Or it looks like somebody's grandparent was, ha- ha- was told about Photoshop from their grandkids... They looked it up, downloaded a, a downloaded a knockoff version, and tried to tried to make some Photoshop images out of that in that knockoff version. It is they tried because like the main thing is they try to make these older images of the actresses from when they were younger fit like they were in the same room, and it so doesn't work. They would have been better off hiring stunt doubles. Like like physical stunt doubles to look like the young actresses, but they 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 they, they use really terrible photo. Like if you're gonna use Photoshop, have somebody who knows what they're doing in Photoshop. Don't give it to your grandpa and say, "Here, grandpa, Photoshop this." What's a Photoshop? Oh God, it's 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 heinous. Uh and then you get to the writing. Which this is the second time, this is a second time screenwriter collaborating with a first time screenwriter in the sec, in the, in the, in the first screenwriter's directorial debut. The guy behind this, Bill Holderman, is best known for producing. Not really, not really having anything of creative input in terms of like writing, directing, anything like that. Producing. The, uh, a couple of latter-day Robert Redford films. He works through Robert Redford's production company. So he is best known for having his name attached to things like Lost at Sea, whatever that um, that one Robert Redford did uh, a couple years ago. Um, the, the Lions... Lions... Uh, what, what was it? Lions Lambs? Lions Against Lambs? What was that stupid movie he did with... Uh, 
Lions four lands, I think. And then most, he's writing, his only other writing credit is A Walk in the Woods. All his loss was the one at sea. And Lions for Lambs was his first production credit. And then The Conspirator, The Company You Keep, Out of the Many, The One. He's been mainly known for producing for Robert Redford movies. And then he co-produced this. He co-wrote it with a first-time screenwriter. And this is his directorial debut. His only other writing credit was A Walk in the Woods, which is another Grey Powder. Grey Pound movie, however you want to refer to it. Um, and this guy is not, does not know how to, this guy is better suited for sitcoms. This is not good filmmaking. This is barely passable TV writing. Because the whole conceit is, oh, oh, oh my goodness. We're getting all hot and bob, you know, People have compared it to, like, Sex and the City or Golden Girls. I could see it more of, like, if Golden Girls tried to be Sex and the City. Like, if you tried to reboot Golden Girls in the vein of Sex and the City, this is kind of what you would get if it was only made for a network audience. Because Golden Girls was way smarter than this. So is Sex and the City. This barely comprehends the Fifty Shades stories. The books themselves, the phenomenon, it doesn't even understand Bumble. Like, there's a whole sequence that they thankfully cut short in the final movie of Candace Bergen signing up for Bumble. And the Bumble app on her on her iPad is like, thank you for signing up for Bun- Bumble. Find your love on Bumble, 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 Bumble. Hey, we're letting people know that you're signing up for Bumble. Nobody knows, nobody who made this movie has ever picked up the app Bumble. Because like actual apps, it stays silent. There's no reason for apps like Bumble or Hinge or, or Tinder or Grindr to make unnecessary noises. They, they would, they, why would they pay for somebody to voice things when they can barely, when the, all they're trying to do is make as much money as they can from downloads and ads and, and you know, subscriptions. They're not going to pay a voiceover artist to say things on, on that kind of budget, on the kind of budget that they have over at Bumble. So, yeah, this, this is, tra- like, you even heard in the end of the trailer, like, the whole thing of, like, the cop telling Mary Steenburgen that... You have a night. You you have a you have a nice night, and, you, and she looks over at Mary C. Virgin. You too, ma'am. And it's like ha 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 ha. And yet, and yet, I did not hate this movie. I hate most parts of this movie. I think it's a very incompetent film overall. I did not hate it. And I qualify that with, I kind of like these actresses. Even when they're given literally nothing to do but hang out, they're fun. They're, they, they have great one. Candace Bergen has some of the best one-liners in the whole movie. And then Jane Fonda is the Blanche of the group. And I think Candace Bergen's kind of the, um, Jane Fonda's the Blanche. Candace Bergen is kind of the Dorothy. Or would Candace Bergen be the Sophia? I think Candace Bergen would be the Sophia with all of her one-liners and all of her sass. But she's also kind of a Dorothy. 
for the most part. Mary Steenburgen is kind of the, um, Sophia? What was Betty, what was Betty White's name? Not Sophia. Uh, Sophia was, uh, the mom, was the mom. That was, um, don't stop or my mom will shoot. Uh, what's her name? Come on. Give it to Give me the cast. Uh, Estelle Getty. Yeah, so Estelle Getty was Sophia. Uh, Rose. Rose, yeah. Um, I think Mary Steenburgen is... They kind of... They kind of have the thing... They kind of have the setup a bit wrong because they have two roses. Diane Keaton and Mary Steenburgen are both kind of roses. And then Jane Fonda is the Blanche. And then Candace Bergen is a weird amalgamation of Dorothy and Sophia. It's It doesn't quite work as well. Um, but at the same time, the only one that I didn't actively like was Diane Keaton. And I feel like she's just kind of milk toast and uninteresting. Mary Steenburgen is kind of giving all of the hints, but she also is not paying very much attention to her husband. And it, it takes up to her actually communicating with her husband like an adult for them to finally be on good terms. Um, meanwhile, Jane Fonda is just, you know, struggling to open up and have an emotional connection to uh, a man who, even after being dumped uh, 40 years ago, still is madly in love with her. Uh, Candace Bergen is trying to get back into the dating scene after uh, her ex-husband is getting married to a younger woman and her coming to terms with that. And then Diane Keaton has really overbearing children, played one played by a, a necessarily unnecessary, you know, an unnecessarily cast Alicia Silverstone in a glorified cameo. Which is the other thing too, like Richard Dreyfus is featured in the trailer. He's barely he's in one scene of the movie. And then Wallace Shawn shows up for another glorified cameo. Doesn't make any damn sense. But like uh Diane Keaton hooks up with Andy Garcia. Don Johnson is is um, Jane Fonda's uh, uh, ex-fiance, not even ex-fiance, ex-boyfriend. Um, and then Craig T. Nelson is Mary Steenburgen's husband. And I, I mean, I, I, I can't fault the movie for wanting to deal with um, subject of mature that 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 caters to mature women, things that mature women have to deal with, you know. You know, uh, stagnancy in a marriage, ex, ex, exes, uh, you know, moving on from a divorce. Uh, um, Diane Keaton is a widower. Uh, widow. She's a widow, not a widower. That would imply a lot of... That would be something if she was actually a widower in this movie. But no, she's just a widow. Um, she is a widow. You know, Diane Keaton being a widow and getting back in the dating scene from that. And uh, Jane Fonda coming to terms with... Um, growing emotionally because she seems to have sta- you know stayed stagnant since her twenties. But you know these four actresses are fun, especially when they're together, which is not often enough. The four of them seem to genuinely have fun together on screen, and if there was more of that, I would give this movie more credit. But it's only so much, and when it's not, it's painful. Like the whole thing of. She getting Candace Bergen doesn't understand tech technology. Like, oh no, she's get she forgot to turn off her iPad before a meeting, and she keeps getting notifications from the Bumble. 
what is this newfangled technology you youngsters are using? It's it's really bad, guys. It is so bad. Do not watch this movie for the writing. Do not watch it for most of the comedy because it is painfully forced. It is so wink, wink, nudge, nudge that you're probably liable to pull a muscle on your eyelids and your on your and your forearms from all the winking and the nudging that this movie that you do for this movie. Uh, so yeah, at this uh, overall, I can't hate this movie because. For its audience, and I saw it with its main... Into- I, I, I brought down the mean age of that audience by a good 20 years. Because everyone around me was at least... Was, you know... Um, lowest possible... Like, lowest possible range is probably in their 50s all the way up to the 70s. We're talking, like, at mean age is retirement, if not older. And then I brought it down to like a solid 40. <laughs> just by being there. So, and, and the audience had fun. And it, it's, like I said, it's mom exploitation. It caters to mainly women of a certain age. Has, it speaks to their interests. And overall, I've seen worse. Just getting started is way worse than this, I think. And that's mainly because these four actresses have decent chemistry. Like, even though I didn't like Diane Keaton so much, she was kind of like, you know, wa- a wallpaper, you know, a lamp. She was just there for the most part. She didn't really have anything going for her for the, for the most part. They was still, I still had, I still was fine with it. Like, overall, I, I, I couldn't muster up the hatred for it that some people might. Because, I, I think ma- that's mainly because... You just you just gotta let people like what they like, man. If this is for you, have at it. Be my guest, you know. It just there's no reason for me to ever seek this out again. Oh, that Photoshop was nightmarish. Seriously, like, come on, a child could do a better Photoshop job, guys. What? The, get your game on. Get your head in the game. Get your get your get your, get your head in the game. I don't know. I, I'm rambling now. Max is a partner, he's so as a partner. From the director of Beverly Hills Chihuahua, The Smurfs, and Scooby-Doo. A team of crime fighters. With license to bite. I got my shades on, I come rocking my beta's on. Felipe, what are you doing? Who says police work and pampering can't go paw and paw? Show dogs. What's that? Bikini wax? It's payback time. Uh, uh, Wait. What? The pain passes, but the beauty shall remain. I was willing to give Book Club a pass because that audience, they're not hurting anybody with this kind of movie. It's mindless fluff. I cannot, in good conscience, give this one a pass. I know it makes it sound more intense than it actually is, but I have my reasons. Namely, if your child is into this kind of movie. You should not be taking it in the movie theaters. This cater, this has to cater to toddlers. There's no reason for you to be taking the kind of kids that would be into this to the movies. You should be waiting until they're at least in kindergarten. And even then, maybe, maybe latter-day primary school before taking them to the film, to the movies. You gotta make sure that they're socialized, at least, you know? 
I don't mean to come off as condescending. It's just, I can't, I cannot imagine anybody over the age of five being into this kind of movie. This screams toddler, preschool. This does not need to be shown to a general audience. You put this on the Disney Channel or something. This does not need to be shown in theaters. You should not be enticing, you know, children who just learned how to speak into a into a cinematic setting. And thankfully, there was only one mother willing to take her daughter to this in my screening in the middle of the day on a Friday. Wait, no, wait, no, mm-hmm. yeah, it was Friday. It was just after Friday. So maybe more people saw it in the evening or on Saturday or Sunday. I hope not because I had to drive the next town over in order to see this movie. This was not playing. This was, this, I think this was only playing in one theater in all of the Akron area. And it, and, and yet it got more screens nationwide than book club. More theaters picked up this dog turd than book club, which has a mu- I What did they think? They think kids were still into this? For those who didn't catch last week's episode in the trailer talk segment, or who weren't aware of this movie coming out, this is the latest from the monster behind Scooby-Doo... And Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed, Smurfs 1 and 2, and Beverly Hills Chihuahua. I don't mean to dehumanize him by calling him a monster, but I, I, I can't. I can't with this. Why would you do this to people? I, I, I get making something for kids. Everything has its audience. Kids can do better. Kids can watch TV and get better anime, better made quality writing and film and and effects than this movie. Why would you all? This guy hasn't made a movie since Smurfs Two in 2013, and somebody said yes. Let this guy essentially remake Tequila and Benetti. For those who don't follow the cinema snob, I'm referencing a lot of other online reviewers this episode, but for those who don't know the cinema snob, uh, Brad Jones has uh, done a couple of... He's he's had a short mini-series of sorts where he covered all of the episodes of the short-lived TV series Tequila and Benetti. Tequila and Benetti was a cop dramedy where they made the dog talk through inner monologue. It's like if Turner and Hooch gave Hooch a monologue. And this movie amps it up even more by CGIing the mouths to talk. Are we still doing this? Like, unless you're genuinely... Unless you're making the animal completely out of CGI, like in The Jungle Book... You should not be forcing animals to talk with CGI mouths. It always looks 
bad. It looked bad in Beverly Hills Chihuahua. It looked bad in 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 Snow Dogs. It has it wasn't all that great in Doctor Doolittle. It was never a cool effect. It was always lazy. It was always stupid. I can't believe they. I thought we were done with these. I thought we decided that these didn't need to be made anymore. I thought we were done. Like even the cast is bottom of the barrel. The only good name attached to this is Stanley Tucci because apparently Stanley Tucci has reached the Nicolas Cage part of his career where he just does not give a damn. He is the only... Him and Alan Cumming are the only actors of note. And Alan Cumming is in another glorified cameo. He is barely in the movie at all. You know who fills out the roster for this movie? Ludacris. Chris Bridges. Shaquille O'Neal. RuPaul. Gabriel Iglesias. Jordan Sparks. That's who fills out the uh, voiceover cast. And in... An uncredited Kate Micucci. I didn't. Maybe they credited her since the since the movie came out. I did not see any credits to her name in when I was when I was sitting through this hot, hot, hot steaming pile of garbage. Let me double check though. Show dogs. The highest build name is Alan Cumming. He's highest build. In this movie. He's... Alan Cumming is billed above Stanley Tucci. And Alan Cumming is barely in the movie. You know what You know what people... You know what it, it shares with other people? For when you go to the show dogs on IMDb? The direct-to-video Swan, CGI Swan Princess movies. The 2014 direct-to-video Baby Geniuses sequel. As well as this... As well as Baby Genius, so Baby Geniuses three and four, and apparently the fit direct. This is direct to video, mo- and then for some reason a Bollywood film called Ruzgar, which I don't get. Maybe one of the I think there's like an Indian actor who plays a tiger. Maybe that's why. But otherwise, it's this is direct to video. This should not be shown in theaters. Uh, let me see about the pigeons who. Does it list who plays the pigeons? I'm not seeing them credited as pigeons. No, not seeing anything. No. So I I swear that was Kate Micucci's voice I heard, but I don't know who all else went on uncredited. But, you know, thankfully we've got Will Arnett, Gabriel Iglesias, Shaquille O'Neal, and Luda. Move, bitch! Get out my business! Yeah, that's who you want voicing your kids' movies. And you know, because you played by Ludacris, he's gotta listen to the hippity hop. This movie makes me want to flip all of the tables. The fact that it, the, the fact that it even exists infuriates me. And you can, like I said, if you like this, have at it. But I cannot stand these movies. They are always terrible. They are always forced. And they, these are the bottom of the bargain bin. And for some reason, 
someone allowed Raja Gasnell to make another movie after he's after just all all of the garbage he has put out. And apparently he's got two more coming out. So fantastic. Ugh. I don't why? Who allowed this to happen? I don't think he's done anything. Apparently he was attached to Smurfs the Lost Village as a producer because he got his name attached to the as because of his attachment to the first uh live action Smurfs movies. I'm not seeing anything that he's done since si- since uh since uh Smurfs 2 in 2013. I don't know what that I don't know if he just like went off into the wilderness somewhere and just like meditated or something, but he didn't need to come back. There was no reason for him to. He hasn't made anything worth watching since the 90s. Like the only thing of note that you could really argue are never been kissed in Big Mama's house. 1999-2000. Since then, We've had the two live-action Scooby-Doo movies, the two live-action Smurfs movies, the absolutely horrendous rom-com Yours, oh my god, that one. Oh god, Yours, Mine, and Ours. The one with Dennis Quaid and Renee Russo that was a knockoff of Cheaper by the Dozen. The Cheaper by the Dozen knockoff Yours, Mine, and Ours. Uh, I was thinking of You, Me, and Dupree. I thought that's what he was doing. But those... And Beverly Hills Chihuahua. He hasn't done anything since the Smurfs 2 in 2013. And somebody said, yes, give this man another movie. We need to see another from Raja Gasnell. Why? Who? Who would do this to us? We don't need this. We never needed another thing from this guy. Let him be done. Let us be done with him. I, I, why? This guy has, I, the best thing this guy has done has been, pa- was passable. And you could, and that's arguably passable for Big Mama's house. I've never even seen Never Been Kissed. I can't speak to if, you, if that's worth a damn either. And if those, if that's the case, then this guy hasn't done anything, like, you could argue this guy hasn't done anything good in his entire career. I mean, that depends on how you feel about Big Mama's House and Never Been Kissed. Everything else, Home Alone 3, the two the live-action Smurfs and Scooby-Doo movies. They, they advertise this as from the director of Beverly Hills, Chihuahua. This guy sucks. And yet somebody, somebody thought... We need another movie from this guy. Who? Who? Wait, I need to know. This is... We're talking... We're talking like... Um, how did this get made? Levels of... Ba- bafflement. Ba- bafflery. Buffoonery. What, uh, how? What, what? How did this happen? I need to know how this happened. Here, you know what? I'm going. I'm doing it. They, they... I keep forgetting, uh... Um, Diane, June Diane, 
dyed her hair blonde. I always, I'm so used to seeing her as a brunette. Um, okay, uh, okay, episodes, where are the episodes? I need the list of all the episodes, get full episode list, okay, here we go. Okay, introducing Unspooled, Body Rock, Beautiful Creatures, um, Origin Stories bonus, John Cryer with John Cryer. I, I'm so far behind on this. Adore. Oh, they did Geostorm Live. Okay, I'm going to have to wait until they do Show Dogs. Um, oh, they have uh, the cast of The Disaster Artist on to talk about The Disaster Artist and The Room, I'm guessing. Um, Ultraviolet. Oh my god, they talk about The Jazz Singer. Uh, okay, I, I need to go back through and um, get back on the, the How Did This Get Made train. Because I, 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 I may not be a big, as big a fan of Paul having to intercut so many ads into the episodes. But at the same time, I get it. Like, podcasting doesn't generate an income. You gotta make your money somewhere. But, yeah, it's... I need, I need to be, get, be up to date so I can figure out how the hell this happened. I need to know how this happened. Why was this... Why was this given to the general public... As though it was some kind of a gift. This is this is Hollywood taking a giant dump on our front porch and sitting there like a like a doofy dog and and with its tongue out saying, "I made this for you, human. Don't you love it?" I'm not even talking about the actual movie because it's such a wake. Why would I? Ev- There's nothing here. A a dog enters a talent show. A dog dog goes under... A police dog goes undercover! This movie universe makes no sense! Stanley Tucci is sprung from the pound to be his coach... Ludacris' coach! The humans and dogs talk to each other, but nobody understands! They established that the humans and dogs can't understand each other. You don't stop talking to each other. Why was this allowed to happen? Who allowed this this monstrosity to be seen by the by the movie going public? Who demanded ten bucks a head to see this? I'll admit. I loathe Peter Rabbit. This Peter Rabbit was was a front runner for my least favorite of 2018 for the longest time, just because. Well, it's another one where I thought we were done with this kind of movie. This one, though, this makes Peter Rabbit look competent by comparison. Show Dogs is an embarrassment for everybody. Doesn't matter if you got paid or not. No paycheck is worth having your name. Kate McCucci had the right idea of making sure her name was not attached to this dog doo-doo. Times like this, I really wish I didn't have the try to keep a clean rating. And I allowed myself to go more explicit. But that's the limit I set myself up for this podcast. Keep it as clean as possible. Make it radio. If, it's not, if you can't talk about it on the radio, it's not worth talking about. So, uh, that's, that's my limit for this episode, for this series. And yeah, show dogs. Was there any doubt that it was going to be anything but awful? So 
I'm going to take a quick break and come back with a kind of impromptu discussion. I had to move things, I had to kind of shift my uh, kind of entry point into it since I was, since I had to go about that um, course of Hunkable Pie and Crow. Uh, so we'll be right back. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films? Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, A Good Ghoul's Guide to Horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have it. Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying? Initially, this this uh, discussion was going to be about a, a kind of continuation, a sequel discussion to the art versus artist episode from um, 2016 when uh, I was talking about Mel Gibson. And uh, this time around, it was going to be about when should you stop supporting uh, entertainment um, because of the people involved in it. And it was going to be about should I should you support Deadpool two given what Fox did, but ultimately Fox was was only well, I mean Fox wasn't even found neg- like if Fox was found negligent because of what they did with Joy Harris, there would be no reason for WorkSafe BC to not hold them accountable. Like that's the whole point. You don't give big studios a pass, and if it turns out that that's what they did, that that would be the bigger news story. So. To stay tuned, I'll stay tuned uh, to see if uh, WorkSafe BC lists a publicizes their full investigation results. But for the time being, Fox isn't the biggest uh, culprit. Um, uh, you know, the biggest reason to avo- to uh, to not see Deadpool. The main reason is T.J. Miller now, because like I said, T.J. Miller is a despicable human. Be- has proven himself to be a despicable human being given his actions, and. And so that does, once again, that does raise the question. When do you stop supporting entertainment because of who is making it? Should you stop supporting entertainment because of, uh, the re- you know, of what's going on in the real world? And, you know, the people behind it. Because that's the thing. Um, I think I brought this up in that episode, too. How, uh, there's a Todd in the Shadows episode. I'm sorry. I, I probably shouldn't be tying back into so many other reviewers, but they're, they're my main source of references. I had this problem when I was recording another podcast where I would, even though we're talking about books, I would always tie it into movies. For this, for the point of this discussion, they have to my points of reference tie into other reviewers. Um, but to you know, but the point was that Todd in um, his review for "Turn Up the Music" by Chris Brown. Spend the entire episode discussing 
everything about you know should you or should you not support Chris Brown. He got he te- he tackled this very subject, and he brought up a point. Where is the line? What line do you draw? Do you stop listening to music altogether? Do you only listen to things like Rafi and the Wiggles? What if those guys also turned out to be like terrible people behind the scenes? Where is how do you stop? What you know? What at what point do you stop supporting an artist for their work? Um, not because of the work's quality, but because of the artist themselves, who they are. And the debate still continues. And for me, I am openly willing to stop support. Like, I learned recently, uh, I was in a Facebook group and the discussion came about that David Bowie coerced young women into having sex with him during the 70s. And at that point, I kind of I, I kind of stopped listening to David Bowie. Like... Much as I love David Bowie's music, and I thought he was such an amazing dude, that stuff is inexcusable. Like, I'm willing to stop supporting an artist if, it ter- if that's how it turns out to be. If that's the kind of person they, turn, you know, they were. And I think it sucks because Bowie's not here to make amends for that information. I don't think I ever saw him make amends for that. And I think that's the killer, is that... If the artist is still alive and this information comes out, they have an opportunity to, if not, if for nothing else than their own uh, public relations, their own public image, to try and make amends for their actions. Whether or not you even can for some, uh, some of these cases. Like, how do you make amends for coercing young women to have sex with you, you know? Like, that's that's almost like, it, that's it, that is inexcusable. I mean, as much as you, lo- you, you can love David Bowie, but... You know, you gotta that that all that asterisk will always be there. It's like, no matter how much you love Bill Cosby's as a comedian, he is you know forever known as somebody who drugs and takes adv- and you know took advantage of women. He was an abuser. He was a sexual predator. And T.J. Miller is uh, is is just a complete and utter douchebag, and he flamed out spectacularly within the last year and it culminated with the revelation that yes he would stalk and uh, and assault women so uh, the so being a douchebag making being on you know being hard to work with that's not new for hollywood surprise and also neither is being a sexual predator which is the sad part but yeah i think that's the whole thing is where are you willing to cut ties with somebody and i think when it comes to things like bigotry like out and out hate speech and signs that they are that kind of terrible person then that and as well as you know any kind of sexual um assault or a coercion any kind of any kind of abuse done either physically or sexually towards other people is also inexcusable. And I think that's the whole thing is that thankfully there's enough content out there that you could hopefully avoid most of if there's like, that's the whole thing. I cannot support John Tron period. Not to tie it to, you know, t- tying it back into internet people. John Tron has proven himself to be not just ignorant, but out, out, 
outright just spiteful and bigoted towards certain groups. And it's shocking that guys like, you know, he was associated with guys like um, PBG and Gerard Khalil, the completionist, and Aaron Hansen, because he has since proven to be the exact kind of people that they have seem to have dissociated themselves with. Like they tend, like Aaron still hangs out with like Oni and I, Oni and Psychic Pebbles seem to be like the in-between between between them and guys like JonTron. I don't think I've seen Oni or Psychic Pebbles go too terrible, but I'm also, but I've, but I've also never paid much attention to either of them. So, you know, what do I know? Uh, but because of everything John Tron has said, I can never. I, I will never go back to his old Game Grumps episodes. I can't support any of his old videos. I never want to see anything the guy does ever again. Thankfully, he doesn't make that much content. So <laughs> there's um, there, you know, there's not there's not much to boycott anymore except the catalog, the backlog that he uh, when he used to make content. Oh, oh man. Uh, it feels weird making those kind of low blows to a guy like that because who knows what the hell's going on with him. But, yeah, I, I can't. Given everything he has said, he has not proven that he understands what he said was not only wrong, but just awful to wide swaths of people. And he hasn't shown any remorse or even, like, acknowledgement of the fact that he needed to grow from that. It's the same thing with Chris Brown. Chris Brown has not shown any signs of growth as a person. He has maintained to be the kind of abuser that he was in 2009. And the fact that you would continue to support that says a lot about you. And like, people are able to compartmentalize a lot. And I don't begrudge people for liking something from a terrible person. Sometimes you can't help what you like. And if you like something and it turns out that guy is terrible or that person is terrible, that group is terrible, that, that, you know, you know, that it's made by somebody who is awful. Do you stop like, do you stop supporting NSYNC and Backstreet Boys because their producer was a, you know, took advantage of young boys? Do you stop listening to John Lennon and the Beatles music because John Lennon used to beat his wives? I don't know if he ever beat Yoko. I know he beat the woman uh, who... I know he beat one of his other wives, but he was known to be physically abusive. Do you stop supporting... Like I said, David Bowie, uh, given given the information that he used to, you know, coerce young women, underage women, into having sex with him? You know, it's a, it's a whole, like, there was a weird thing in the 70s. Like, you can't just say, oh, it was the 70s. No, that stuff is inexcusable in any decade. You can't just pass it off as it was the time. No, you should not have been willing to do those things in any era, whether it was society, acceptable in society or not. Because if it was, well, that's the other thing, too. If it, was, if it was acceptable, Roman Polanski would not have left the country. And the fact that people in Hollywood, in the business, are still willing to support him, given all of that, but they but they have no problem calling out guys like Mel Gibson, and holding and only only until recently 
allowing him back into the community? That speaks a lot to the kind of people involved in, involved in, in mainstream Hollywood. They, the, it, it speaks a lot to the kind of character that the character, uh, you know, the quality of character that they are willing to surround themselves with. And that's the whole thing. Plenty of people have talked about the kind of corruption inherent within Hollywood in the, in the entire business. Which is why I honestly would be perfectly fine with the, hell, with the whole thing burned to the ground. Burned to the ground, salt the earth, start over. Start over somewhere else entirely. I am perfectly okay with that, given everything I know about the business. But I also know... But that, that's going to take a hell of a lot more for that to happen. It's going to take like a nuclear bomb level of uh, exposure of, of corruption and villainy. The likes of which we'll probably never see in our lifetime. Who knows? But who knows? In the internet age, so much is made available. There could be a major like journalistic operation or police investigation that finally brings down so many people. In the industry, or it could just be people by themselves, uh, in no relation to one another, bringing down you know powerful executives and major players in the industry, like we've been seeing, well, you know, with, with Weinstein and Cosby and all these other people. The, you know, we're starting to bring down people of all man, you know, of all le- level in this in the system, and the only way to show. And the only way to show any sort of progress is to hold those people accountable and never work with them again, no matter what that means. No matter what that means for your career or what for your own public image, for not associate. If you're, you need to be willing to not associate with awful people if you want to show yourself to be, uh, you know, in, at least not, you know, bare, you know, basic level, not awful. Like, you have to be, I mean, to be, like, almost angelic, the one person, the, the two people that I would hate to find out something awful about are Chris Evans and Hemsworth. I love, I told Chris Hemsworth I love him, and it's true. Hemsworth is a charismatic hunk of a man. And, but at the same time, if it turned out that Hemsworth beat his wife or assaulted fans... Both physically or sexually, took advantage of young. You took advantage of young people. You uh, beat puppies. Um, something. Just if Hemsworth turned out to be a secret dick, a secret douchebag, a secret just villain, then I would be completely willing to to stop supporting him. Get rid of anything Hemsworth related. Dump my Mjolnir that we, that that he signed at Cleveland Comic Con because I don't want that association. Having that association speaks speaks to who what you are willing to allow as a person and as uh, and as a per, you know, and what you are willing to associate yourself with in terms of character, in terms of you know goodness, and you'll you'll never be able to be wholesome. Entirely wholesome. That's impossible. You're, but that's why I wanted to wanted to be open about the fact that I was wrong, because that's what I expect from other people. When you are wrong, you admit it, and you tell people that you would much rather be wrong and sorry than wrong and indignant. 
that you were right. I needed to acknowledge that I was wrong. I needed to make it known that I don't tolerate that kind of thing from myself. And I, and I, I can't hold other people to that because everybody is different. Everybody has different levels of what they are willing to accept. Me personally, I could not accept myself being wrong and continually, continuing to be wrong and continuing to vocalize my wrongness to people because I know that never ends well. It's like, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it on the podcast, but if I didn't already, it's why I wanted to acknowledge my willingness to be wrong in, ter- in relation to black nerd girls. Black girl nerds? Black girl nerds, I think was the, was the group, the blog. In relation to the whole uh, lavender brown thing, I assumed it was—I assumed it was nothing. But you know, upon reflection, I realized, and in, and in talking with people more familiar with the business, they had every—they they had no reason not to recast lavender brown if there was already somebody p- continuously playing lavender brown. That was whitewashing, and it was—and it is unacceptable. It's also uh, sadly not unfamiliar with. The Harry Potter series, as it, as it turns out. <sighs> Beleaguered sigh, <laughs> to quote Lindsay Ellis. But, th- but that's why I would much rather be wrong and sorry and want to, be, and want to apologize for being wrong than to be wrong and, dem- and still be under the impression that I was right. I don't need to be right. I need to be correct. And that's why I started the Deadpool review with acknowledging that I was wrong. Because being right isn't the, isn't the same as being correct. And I would much rather be correct and give, the, and give the correct information than be right about something. I could be wrong all the damn time. In fact, I'm usually wrong, all things considered. But I'm willing to acknowledge. I, sh- I need to be willing to acknowledge when I am wrong, in order to in order to uh, parlay correctness when it comes to information. And I think that's why I take it upon. That's why in the latter in the latter years, you know, people call it social justice and whatnot. But I feel like the only way we can truly progress as a society in these terms is to acknowledge when we are wrong and do better. We need to acknowledge when we're wrong and do and work harder to do better after learning that. It's the only way we can advance. It's the only way we can stop making fools of ourselves and being so overwhelmingly just ignorant and backwards and hateful. The only way we can truly progress is to acknowledge when we were wrong and try to make up for it. We were talking about this in, um, in a Disney fan group. And someone was worried about dealing with problematic imagery. Specifically the crows and Dumbo. Dumbo. And, um, and I know specifically if we try to talk about Song of the South, a lot of it is not available. And I understand Disney's w- willingness to try and dis- dissociate from that point in their history but i 
I more align myself with the Warner Brothers approach. Warner Brothers, when it came to Looney Tunes, released their 30s, the more problematic 30s and 40s cartoons that dealt with race and horrible racist depictions of Japanese people, of black people, of... Uh, I, I think those are the big ones. Japanese because of World War II and black people because this is America. Don't catch you slipping up. Love that song so much. Um, yeah, so... What Warner Brothers did, for those who don't know, in those releases, they had a disclaimer saying, this was the time period. It's not okay, but to try to dissociate from it and to deny it existed doesn't do any good. You can't brush these kind of things under the rug. They need to be known to the public. The public needs to remember that this happened in order... The only way... We try to prevent terrible things from happening again is to keep it in the public knowledge that this thing is terrible. We should not do it. It's why that's why there's a major difference, not to get too political, but that's why there's a difference between Germany keeping the Holocaust sites open in posterity versus the American South upload, you know, up, you know, um, What's the term? Uh, putting up, you're just putting up uh, Confederate statues. They're not dedicating graveyards, battlefield. They're not specifically dedicating graveyards or battlefields or anything of that nature to the loss of life from the war. They are commemorating generals from a losing side because they still hold those truths that the that the South fought for to some degree. Otherwise, you would not. Be so willing to up to put up statues of literal traitors. That's what those are. Confederates are traitors. And if you agree with the Confederacy, you're agreeing with traitors. That's that's the you know, that's that's the crazy part is that you can't call yourself patriotic and align yourself with traitors. Literal traitors. Um yeah, but that's a whole other discussion on an entirely different podcast. The point of the matter is you you need to know when you're wrong and acknowledge it. And if somebody has done wrong, only you can prevent forest fires. And only you can decide whether or not to continue to support their output, creative output. Whether or not you're able to compartmentalize that the person is terrible, but I still like this thing. Or whether you're like me and you're and you would much rather wash your hands of the whole thing and be and acknowledge that that person is wrong and you shouldn't support them. Neither option is wrong. I mean, people people will say that compart, trying to compartmentalize it isn't helpful. But when push comes to shove. You have to you have to do what feels best for you, and for a lot of people, they 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 should not be forced to dissociate from entertainment that gave them joy, just because somebody the person who made it was awful. Which is why I feel like the best course of action, all things considered, is to stop supporting people outright. If you find out somebody is ter- somebody has done such. Terrible and heinous things. You should 
cease supporting them. You don't have to get rid of your entire back catalog, but you don't. But you. But from that point on, once you have gained that knowledge, you stop supporting them. And given that you can't always do that, I think the best other option is even if you can't give up supporting that person for one reason or another, whether you just like that sense, of, like what they're creating. Or you, or or there's some sense of nostalgia attached to it, or whatever it is, or maybe like a family or a friend associates with it. Whatever the reason, if you just you don't have to give it up. If you can, good. But if not, you should always be willing to acknowledge. Oh yeah, that's awful, terrible person. All things considered, you shouldn't support them. But for what it's, you know, you got you can't help what other people do. All things consider. That's why I'm much more willing to give people leniency when it comes to as long as they're willing to acknowledge somebody is awful, even if they can't openly stop supporting them, whether you know for one reason or another. And it also doesn't help that in all this time I'm talking about individual creators. Companies are ultimately much, much worse than creators. Like, you can, like, considering di- th- what the Disney Corporation is, ha- has done and currently does, and, Fo- and 20th Century Fox, and all the various new movie studios, how they treat, you know, how they treat certain people, how they cover up certain activities, these companies are definitely guilty of, m- of who knows how many crimes. You don't get to be that big without committing cr- some form of crime. You just you just become so big that you can't be uh, prosecuted for it, and yeah, you know, like I bring up Apple as well. It's not a, it's not a, technically an entertainment company, but Apple. I'm recording this on an Apple computer, a MacBook Pro. I utilize I, an iPad Pro and an iPhone 6s. I use Apple products for my convenience, but. Apple Apple is notorious for multiple many things and they are a you know they are a, they are a criminal organization when it comes to things like workers rights and manufacturing and utilizing legal you know global loopholes in order to benefit executives over the, their workers. So companies are awful. And the only problem is corporations have taken over. It's too late. It used to be you could willingly, you could be able, you were able to avoid certain companies and stop supporting them. Corporations have taken over to a point where the only way to stop supporting any of them is to become a hermit and live out in the wilderness. You know, you become grizzly man and make friends with the animals, which I'd be okay with, but I'd probably die within a week. And... Yeah, I mean that's it's, and that's why that's why I can't hold it against people who who don't give up certain artists, certain musicians' songs on their i on their on their library, or don't stop watching movies by certain filmmakers or actors, because it's hard to give up something that gave you joy, and it's hard, especially hard if that thing that gave you joy. You come to find out somebody may, who made it gave, caused other people pain. 
So it's bu- so if nothing else, you should be willing to call it out, and you should be able to call out the person, and hopefully, if you can, stop supporting terrible people, terrible companies. That's why I haven't exactly upgraded when I can. Number one, because I'm broke. Number two, because there's no need to update all upgrade all of the time whenever a new thing comes out. But there's only so much you individually can do. That's why you should you know you should always ele- you know elevate whistleblowers when somebody is calling out these kind of actions. You should be you should be you know you should be echoing their voice. You should be spreading it, and that's but that's the other thing. I did that. I thought I was doing that with the Joy Harris thing. That's why you need to be certain when these when these things come out, what information is correct and what information is conjecture. And the best way to do that is to look to the source. Who is providing this information? Is it somebody directly from the production? In the case of Joy Harris. Or is it somebody unaffiliated with their own agenda that they want to promote? And that seemed to be the case with a lot of the people who were decrying that Joy Harris's death was preventable. I'm sure it was. I'm not saying it wasn't preventable. But to say that Joy Harris was an affirmative action hire because Zazie Beetz was black and Joy Harris was black is wildly inaccurate because they don't look... That's like saying... That's like, you know, that's like saying, oh, um, Terrence, you know, like Terrence, you know, the Terrence Howard, John Cheadle thing. They just because they're both black doesn't mean they look exactly the same. uh, They would have been better off hiring somebody much closer to uh, if it was about, you know, matching somebody's skin color. They would have been better cast finding somebody who who's not specifically black, but who matches Zacey Beats' skin tone. So, yeah, people people are. And that, that's a whole another thing is that the stunt community hasn't, has always kind of been a predominantly white field and male field. And the only way to – but the only way to diversify it is to make it a worthy field for people to join. You want people of different walks of life to join the, that, the stunt community. That's, that's the best way we're going to get to, having an, to making the stunt community more cohesive. And it's getting better. Because, I mean, that's the thing. If you look to the stunt community, it's still predominantly white male, but there are more people joining of various, co- you know, of different colors, of different ethnicities, of different backgrounds, and, and, of course, different sexes. So, to outright say, oh, you know, this is a diversity problem. She was only cast because she was black. And it's like, that's when That's when I should have realized, oh, wait, I'm being duped. Because people are starting to use buzzwords and, you know, dog whistles instead of... Tying into actual information. It was conjecture. Not fact. So. Before you, ec- before you try to add, join in an echo chamber. Make sure what they're echoing is fact. And of course. Whenever possible. If it turns out somebody is. An awful person. If you're willing to and able to. Stop supporting them. But if you can't for whatever reason. At least be willing to acknowledge. That that person is awful. So that other people know. And can make their own decision based on that. Information that could benefit people in one way or another, be it to stop supporting an awful person or an awful company, you know, to call out awful practices and hold people accountable. That needs to be done. That's why I was so vocal about the Joy Harris thing, because I assumed, based on the information that was available to me, that it was some kind of 
you know, cover up by the studio. Because that's more interesting than the very, than the very real fact that it was simply a freak accident. Maybe I shouldn't say freak accident. A, a, a shocking accident. Doesn't hold the same weight as freak, because I know, but at the same time, probably should avoid freak accident. Point is, Joy Harris's death was tragic, but it was ultimately an accident. If anything, it was the vic- she was the victim of time constraints on a production. There should be time allotted for in case something goes wrong during production. There should have at least be like a week or two to allow for uh, production to in case some something happens. Like, oh, uh, somebody can't come in today. Uh, all right, we'll shoot a different scene and they'll, we'll shoot with them tomorrow or something. You know, there should be time allotted in order to uh, pro- keep things working smoothly and safely. But you know, you know how businesses are: faster, cheaper, whatever it does, whatever whatever we can do to maximize profits. So yeah, this was kind of a downer of a discussion, but uh, I feel like it needed to be talked about because number, I mean, it needed to be talked about whether or not I was right because this is an important topic to discuss. But it's also important to acknowledge when you are wrong and to always do your best to share the correct information, not whether or not you were right. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to go into our next segment and uh, we're going to check in with John Bailey for another box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right, if you remember last week, our new releases were, um, how many week, there we go, week numbers. Uh, our last uh, premieres were Life of the Party and Breaking In, which could not best Infinity War. But with, with, um, with four weeks as number one at the box office, Avengers Infinity War has been toppled. You can probably guess by whom. But before we get to him, we'll talk about... Uh, the first, we're going to start from the bottom with our number seven, uh, for this week, Overboard. Three weeks in, this week it brought in 4725000 bringing its overall domestic gross to 36973000 So it should be able to get over $40 million domestically overall. Its current worldwide, uh, um, gross is $49 million. So... It, I mean, it, it, it seems to be chugging along to being in the black, but I don't think it's definitely not a runaway success, especially not like I don't even know if the first one was uh, that much of a success. Let me double check. How was the original Overboard? Because I only may know that from like TBS and like and, and USA and cable TV. Uh, that one only grossed twenty six million. That probably only cost like what five ten. So it was successful enough. All things considered, but uh, yeah, um, this one isn't exactly doing killer numbers, but it's chugging along. It's making its money. Uh, number six, our first new release of the weekend is Show Dogs with six million thirty-four thousand dollars. And foreign market, it it, it it opened in a foreign markets where what 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 what? Why would you? Mm. Anyway, point is. Uh, it couldn't even break a million foreign gross, so its overall worldwide gross is $6.7 million. And uh, it, it was unwilling to list their box office with 
uh, box office mojo, so let me see about uh, their Wikipedia page. Not there. Check the IMDb. Uh, Details. Nope, not there either. It, they're really keeping it secret how much this movie costs to make. Uh, and then Beverly Hills... So let's check Beverly Hills Chihuahua. That has to be a comparable um, production cost. So Beverly Hills Chihuahua cost $20 million to make. And made almost $100 million gross. Uh... Uh, just domestically. God, that's insane. That's insane that that many people went to see Beverly Hills Chihuahua. So if it's anything like Beverly Hills Chihuahua, show dogs cost at least 10 million, if not if not upwards of 20 million. But, yeah, it's... There's even a Beverly Hills Chihuahua reference in show dogs. Like, they had the balls to... Try and be like, oh, hey, remember Beverly Hills Chihuahua? Yeah, don't remind us of better movies, show dogs. So yeah, this hopefully will go down as a as a as just a flaming nosedive of a flop. So, uh, here's to hoping. Next up, number five is last week's number three, Breaking In, bringing in uh, 6470000 this weekend, bringing its overall gross uh, to twenty-eight million seven hundred and fifty thousand, meaning worldwide it grossed over thirty million dollars on a six million dollar budget. See, this is how you do it: keep the budgets low, and you and if you're telling a decent enough story or you're giving a decent enough entertainment experience, people will support you. So yeah, I'm hoping this means we're going to see more Gabrielle Union in the future because God knows we need her. So good. Anyway, next up, number four is last week's number two, Life of the Party, with $7.7 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross to $31 million and its overall gross to $36 million. And we guesstimated, uh, based on the last couple of Melissa McCarthy movies, that that was just about how much it cost to make the movie, meaning this movie is still a flop. It barely made back its budget, didn't. Is barely tapping into its marketing cost. So, Life of the Party is Melissa McCarthy's first comedic flop. So, and I think that's a sign that she needs that people are kind of sick of her shtick and she needs to start doing better. Uh, speaking of which, I feel pretty dropped all the way down to number 11 from number 6 and barely scraped it, barely scraped in $1.2 million, bringing its, um, Domestic total of forty six million, and yeah, that one, that's another one where people are just like, we, we don't care, you know, you're not making anything we haven't seen before. Why, why would we watch? Why would we watch this again? Why would we watch you do the same thing but worse? So yeah, next up, the second new release, Book Club, brought in twelve point five million dollars this weekend. No budget listed, so we're gonna have to do some digging. So, uh, I would assume maybe 10 million. I, that can't, it can't be much. Yep, I was right. $10 million budget. It's already made back its budget, so it just needs to make, if it can break 20 million uh, after next weekend, 
it can or through the uh, foreign market, it it can start break start start making a semblance of a profit. But it's it you know it's not too much of a success. But given the fact that it was in 500 more theaters than Show Dogs, it's it means that more people would be would rather see this than anything from Raja Gasnell again. Global Road. What are they what are they responsible for? Midnight Sun. So their only two movies are Midnight Sun, which is a generic teen rom teen romance. And this, the 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 latest Raja Gasnell joint. Wow, my dudes, you you are not doing so hot. You are just woof, 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 woof indeed. And finally, losing its number one spot, going down to number two with twenty eight point six million dollars this weekend is Avengers: Infinity War. Bringing its domestic total to $595 million, which is well over its budget. And with a billion dollar uh, foreign box office, its worldwide total is $1.8 billion. Avengers Infinity War has shown, has shown us that, yes, it's a 10-year te- a proposition can work out. Because I think this makes it the highest grossing of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, rank number three... Okay, it's still catching up there because Avengers has inflation and Black Panther has still a bigger gross overall. Uh, So it's still got a couple of weeks. It may beat out Avengers. I don't know that it's going to beat out Black Panther. I think Black Panther is going to stay the biggest biggest grossing... um, uh, Oh no, Avengers is still the biggest when adjusted for inflation because of... uh, because of that. So it's uh, Avengers is still number one when, uh, when adjusted for inflation uh, with $704 million domestically. And then Black Panther, 697 And Avengers, 595 And both of them are still in theater. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that, that, that Marvel has shown that they, that Marvel Studios knows what they're doing with their properties for the most part. And I'm interested to see how Ant-Man's going to fare. Because I know Iron Man 3 got a big boost after the Avengers. So we'll see if Ant-Man, after the success of both Black Panther and Infinity War, can keep up. And then lastly, our number one, the the last of the new releases, Deadpool 2 comes in with $125 million on a $110 million budget. And combined with its worldwide total... $300 $300 million. After this, it's all profit, folks. Deadpool made back his money opening weekend. How did um, how did the first Deadpool movie fare? Deadpool 1 opened with... Um... Oh, God, it opened on Valentine's Day. I forgot that. Uh, open, opening weekend gross was $152 million, uh, with... With um, overall overall uh, gross seven hundred eighty three, uh, so yeah, I think it's a 
I think it, it's going to take a while to see if Deadpool 2 can hang on because it's coming up. We're coming right up to blockbuster season. Uh, next week is Solo by itself, which is probably going to dominate the t- number one spot. But we'll see if Deadpool can hang in there. Uh, it's already made back its money, so it's good. And I'm, and I'm certain that's probably going to make even more back on DVD and memorabilia. So Deadpool 2, you did, you done good. And that's the box office report for this weekend. And so now we look ahead to the future with a trailer talk. And the only, like I said, the only thing coming out this weekend is the Han Solo movie, which I'm hearing mixed things about. I'm hearing some good things, but I'm also hearing a lot of like, eh, it's not as great. It's not, it's not as great. You know, some people are not as good, but, but I'll, I'll have to wait and see this Thursday. So until then, let's take a look at that trailer. I'll say this, more there needs to be more dirty, dingy Star Wars underground stuff. That's the nice thing about this uh, movie. Money. Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me. It's true. Ah, I can't wait for that Lando solo movie. Mean man's face. Hey, these guns. If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might wanna buckle up, baby. Let me give you some advice. We assume everyone will betray you. Would be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it. Yeah, it's it, it's gonna be hard. I don't know. It's, it's got a lot to live up to, and especially since people are saying Iron Reich is not exactly Aaron Reich, Aaron Reich, not Iron Reich, Aaron Reich. Uh, he's not exactly a, a great casting choice. I still would have gone with Ansel Elgort. I still think he's a much better that, or they had a young Harrison Ford in that Age of Adeline movie. Why not go with him? Anyway, uh, we'll see about that um, this weekend. And that's the only thing this weekend. So I'm going to uh, use that time to talk about some uh, Netflix and chat stuff that I've been uh, watching uh, lately. So, 
Uh, but that's about it for this episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite that, that page. And you can get all the new episodes once they're released. And uh, be sure to check out all of our other fine programming. And if you have a podcast yourself and you would like to join a young network on the rise, then you then you can send uh, your information to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll see if you're a good fit for us. Uh, you know, I, I highly recommend Donna's stuff, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, Once More with Feeling, The Family Business, Snarkcast. Uh, but, you know, you know we've, we've got the backlogs of R.I. Swear, um, Jim's... Uh, that's the other thing. Jim has got a book coming out. Uh, I think it just came out as of this recording. Uh, so if you want to check out my co uh, co creator here on Gumby Cat and check out his new book, look up the uh, look up by his author named Jim Hansen, or you can look for the book title, which is Champagne Brunch of the Insect Divorce. I know I need to get my copy because that sounds. Right up my alley. Book one of the Kingdom of the Strays. So if you're into sort of, I'm assuming it's sort of comedic sci-fi or fan, sci-fi fantasy, go check it out right now. He's a, co- he's a co-creator on the network. It's his first ever book. Go support him and check it out for yourself. You may like what you find. So that's Champagne Brunch of the Insectivores on uh, Amazon.com right now by Jim Hansen. And uh, as for us... I need to get my own stuff. I've got so many things I wanted to do and so many creative ideas I want to get. If Jim can do it, Jim's older than I am. If he can get it done now, I need, I have no excuse. So congratulations, Jim. You lit the fire under me. So uh, I'll update on if, if anything actually comes to fruition or if I just fizzle out. But um, as for this podcast, you can also check us out on your various podcasting platforms, um, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, we're on. We're on iHeartRadio. Um, basically, if you look for us on your various podcast provider, we should be there. Uh, and as long as you're over episode 100, you're listening to the most up-to-date feed. Uh, this is currently episode 114. So um, if you're over episode 100, closer to the 100 teens, you're on the right. You're listening to the right feed. And I've still got the archive on SoundCloud in case your feed doesn't go all the way back. Which I need to keep up to date as well, depending on how far back it goes. So, we'll, I'll keep in touch in case the archive, you know, in case you need access to the archive. I'm keeping that SoundCloud page ready, and uh, all of that, you know, that's soundcloud.com/popcornjunkie, uh, I believe. Uh, and then, of course, you can always uh, whatever you're using, leave a five star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show, and you can share it on your various social medias and tag us in it as well. Follow us there. Uh, Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie is where the big stuff is. Um, Instagram is at, is at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. I want to say Popcorn Junkie Podcast. I can't have gotten um, Popcorn Junkie on Instagram by that point. Um, so yeah, Popcorn Junkie Podcast. Uh, and then uh, Twitter. I'm most active on Twitter, uh, which is uh, at Corn Junkie Pod. That's where I do. I did the munch along since I was one of three people to see show dogs this weekend. I was not suffering alone. Um, 
but you can also ch- join in the conversation, and uh, that's where I'm the most active on social media. Uh, follow me on Stardust. I'm at Popcorn Junkie there, and you can see my reactions early on. Uh, Twitch is still uh, not active as as of th- as of right now, just because I need to get some some things in order. Uh, so for the time being, no Twitch streams. But uh, I did revamp the Patreon. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast yourself, getting early access to the episodes and getting some Patreon exclusive episodes, as well as helping to build up more content exclusive to patrons, then you can join me over on patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. The first two uh, Patreon exclusive episodes are available there. They are a Rift Trek style commentary of the movie Bambi called, which is uh, the Munch Along. And, uh, You've also got a preview episode, like episode zero, of the Make a Better Movie podcast, where I take a look at Iron Man 3, list what I would change in order to make it a better movie. So if you want more stuff like that, uh, support me over on Patreon at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. It's a monthly donation, so it's not per episode or per week. It's all monthly chunks. So whatever, even if it's just a dollar a month, it's something. So... Go check me out there, and if there's anything else you want to add, any kind of comments you want to give on what I've talked about this week, or any kind of dissenting opinions, or anything at all, any you know, maybe an agreement, like, oh, you ne- maybe you never thought of it that way, or um, or what you thought of the movies I reviewed, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want, I'll read it out on the air, and if not, I'll reply to you in, in, uh, qu- as, as quickly as possible. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And no matter how wrong I am, I just want to say that I'm sorry. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look at Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Hard work provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Uh, a couple of veteran actresses get together for a little risque book club in book club. That's stupid. I need to do another one. So let's just 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 See any? Mm. Hey, this move, this review is giving me the hiccups. Uh, no, I don't want your garbage Adobe Flash. Go away, go away! You're downloading viruses onto my computer. Got all this out in case I get in trouble. <laughs>